Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to wrap up all the week six action, including a two and one record on best bets this Sunday. Plus, I'm going to break down in detail the Monday night football game and tell you once again why, yes, running backs matter, but let's not get out ahead of ourselves when it comes to Derrick Henry, MVP, all of that stuff. Anyway, let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, everybody. So we are here for our Tuesday show, trying to get this out to you. I know it takes a little bit longer than some of the wrap-ups you may get elsewhere, but trying to provide a little bit of extra detail. And before we get into the goodness here, just want to hit again, everyone knows, promo code unexpected at pff.com. You get 25% off any PFF subscription, so make sure you can hit that up. Promo code unexpected for the pod listeners. So first game we want to get into is going to be the Bills and Titans. Monday Night Football, very, very exciting game. I assume everyone enjoyed themselves watching that, although it started off a little bit fl- uh, a little bit fluky, I would say. Uh, not, not exactly a great start to the game. Uh, as we saw that the Titans end up winning 34 to 31. So let's get straight into the potential quote unquote and put quotes around controversial decisions at the end, because it's not really controversial at all. If you go by the numbers and that being the bill's choice to go for it fourth and one uh, three yard line, less than one. If you really look at it, uh, three yard line down by three, of course they do not convert. Allen did not convert. You could go into, well, should he have gone to a different direction on the line, which is a possibility. I think the sneak was the right call. Would you have a play like that where it's less than a yard to gain? We're probably talking about a 70 to 75% chance of conversion, if not higher. So when you crunch all the numbers here, and I'm going to go by some some different calculations, uh, some of them that were given by people at the NFL showed it as being a 20-something percent chance, uh, a gain, I should say, by going forward versus not. I I don't know if it's that high, but it's it's significant. And if you look at the numbers from Ben Baldwin and his bot, he had it as a 12% difference, where essentially there are two different keys here, right? You've got to figure out what's your win probability if you attempt the field goal, and what's your win probability if you go for it? And then within those, there are different scenarios that play out, right, that, that calculate up into those numbers. So for, for Baldwin and then also for the NFL, they had the win probability that the Bills win if they attempt a field goal at around between 42 and 45%. I think that's a little bit low honestly. Um, So that'll whittle away some of the advantage of going for it here. But the reason it being is that you're going to make the kick 98, 99% of the time from that. So if you make the kick, it's tied. There's 22 seconds left. So what's the probability that Tannehill and the Titans get the ball back, they drive back and they score, uh, you know, the kick a field goal and then win the game. So there's some chance there, right? So that's that's maybe a little bit of a hidden part. You don't just say, well, they go to overtime, the Bills are a better team, they should win 55% of the time in overtime, whatever it may be. So therefore, your win probability is 55% if you make the field goal. Not true because the the Titans can come down and score a field goal there. Now, is there a chance 10% to do that? It might even be a little bit high, 5%, but whatever it is, 
you know, kicking the field goal and making it, if they have a 5% chance of making a field goal back on the other end there, boom, that's 5%. You gotta, you're already taking off in your win probability. If you have a one or 2% chance of missing the kick, that's one or 2% that's off of the win probability, right? Because in either one of those scenarios, you lose the game hundred percent of the time. So that's how you can think about the field goal attempt is if you make it, it's probably still a 50, 50 proposition. And that's kind of the key to the macro thinking of this is that, you know, no one ever views the overtime in the proper context and being that you're still going to overtime. It's still a, let's say, a weighted coin flip because you're the better team if you're the Bills. But how much better are you than the Titans on the road, right? You're the better team, but it's still a weighted coin flip. It's very dependent upon who gets the ball first, all that sort of stuff. It's not the same as winning the game. So going for it gives you a great chance of winning the game in regulation. So that's where you're getting all of that juice from, right? And if you want to think about it this way, here's a way to kind of parse out how you come up with a win probability if you do go for it. So uh, the estimates here, if you have this this much you know further to go, it's about a 70% chance, I would say, you make it or you don't make it. So 30% of the time, you don't make it, you lose. Game over, right? So 30% of the time, you, you don't make it. If you do make it, the 70%, 70% of the time that you do make it, you either, you, know, you either get a touchdown or you likely attempt a field goal. There's some probability, you know, you fumble or you throw an interception, but it's very, very low. You know, these are probabilities that happen in less than 1% of plays. So, um, especially near the goal line like that, where you can just throw the ball out of the back of the end zone. So, it's really in that circumstance, within that 70% that you make it, if you kick the field goal, now there's no time, there's less time left. There's, There's basically no chance that the Titans can come back and make their own field goal. So, you get an improvement there. Um, you lose, the Titans lose that chance to go ahead and win it in, in regulation if you go for it and then kick the field goal. So there is an advantage, even if you don't convert, a slight advantage, even if you don't convert and score the touchdown. And when you think about scoring the touchdown, now you're on the two-yard line. Uh, you wouldn't have any timeouts because you would have used the last timeout after that sneak. You would have had 20 seconds to go. That means you're going to get two, maybe three plays. But even if you only get two plays, let's say you have a 55% chance of converting one of those plays, right? So when you're thinking about it, then you have a 55% chance of scoring on the first play. So that is a win, right? And then if you don't score, so you take that remaining 45, then you have a 55% chance of scoring within there. So when you start to you know, add them all up, we're talking about basically the formula, if you want to calculate it, is... You're saying 70% chance of converting, then another, you know, 75, 80% chance of scoring a touchdown after that. That's all of a win. The rest of that remaining amount, the 15% where you don't score a touchdown, you're still kicking a field goal and you're going to overtime. And then you have basically a 55% chance probably of winning in overtime. So you add all that together. And that's how we get up to saying your chance of winning in this scenario Uh, if you go for it, is much higher. It's closer to like 60% overall, your chance of winning versus only being somewhere in the the 40s if you kick the field goal. And that's a huge difference. I mean, we're talking about these fourth down uh, chances are probably normally, even in the highest circumstances, are a 3 4% chance of gaining. So this is like a 10% plus chance of gaining. So you got to do it. You got to do it in this scenario. And again, I know it feels bad. You're increasing the likelihood of losing immediately. Um by going for it and not kicking the field goal. Kicking the field goal, it quote-unquote extends the game. You're going to lose later, but you're not trying to, 
you know, a loss is a loss. A loss immediately versus a loss in overtime is still a loss. So you should be trying to maximize, minimize the chance of losing, maximize the chance of winning, not giving more credit to a loss that comes later on than a loss that comes immediately. It doesn't make any difference, right? And again, that's part of the psychological factors that go into a lot of these things and probably any second guessing that's going on of Sean McDermott on this one. But this was really, truly a no-brainer. Uh, to get more into the larger discussion around this game, it's going to be Derrick Henry season everywhere. You know, it's going to be Derrick Henry MVP. Should Derrick Henry be the MVP? I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about it this season. So my ilk here, my analytical ilk, uh, gets a lot of grief. Now you can see in the on the tweet bot last night, a lot of people saying, oh, I think Derrick Henry matters. I think Derrick Henry's a difference maker. Yeah, I think all those things too. You know, I did an analysis in the offseason. You can check it out where I looked at the exact point estimates you could make based upon on off the field for top running backs if they have top attributes, which are high rushing grades, which Derrick Henry does, lots of broken tackles, which Derrick Henry does, explosive runs, which Derrick Henry does. So all these things coming together, a, a monster season like last season for Henry, you could estimate that he gained the Titans a win, a win and a half, something like that, versus another uh, backup or replacement player. So that's a, that's a big number. So they definitely matter. And I think what we're seeing, there is some, um, there are some players where you can carry it over season by season. Now, overall, there's very little correlation season by season to how a running back performs by these different efficiency metrics. But there are some players, you know, a Jamal Charles, a Derrick Henry, a Adrian Peterson, a Nick Chubb, who have these attributes purely from rushing too. I'm not counting in um, pass receiving there that they can move forward uh, season over season and add that value. So they are valuable players. That's why when Henry signed his contract, you know, a couple of years back, I said, you know, I think it's a fine, fair deal for both parties involved. I didn't, it was basically like two years of the franchise tag you were, you were giving him. They weren't necessarily overpaying. I'm not going to get into you know, more of the extremist ideologue running backs don't matter sort of thing, which really just means that, like, let's not have this MVP talk for running backs. And if you bring in a replacement level running back, you're going to get close to the same level of performance for most for most running backs there. Right. Um, but I will say that when we're talking overall, when you're going to hear people say that Derrick Henry is the most important part of this offense or Der- like I said, Derrick Henry is the MVP, then you need to push back against that a little bit. Right. As much as we don't want to sound like we are degrading what Henry does and the value that he brings, which is something. Like I said, I've done analysis. I, I'll give it up that Derrick Henry does bring some value there. But the key, I think, when you're when you're looking at Derrick Henry as a player and whether you know he should be worth as much or you should be paying him as much as a quarterback, something like that, is while he is valuable – his role is still, there's still two factors to his role, which make it difficult. One, it's limited. Okay, that's the first thing. It's limited. And two, because of those limitations, a team can only, it's, it gives you less paths to victory than a great passing offense gives you to, to victory. Uh, let me explain those things. So first, talking about the limitations on, on Henry, right? So it's really key just to look at these third downs. So third downs, highest leverage plays that a team can have. Um, If you don't convert these third downs, it essentially leads to a loss 
of possession, a turnover in a way, a turnover plus field position, right? You gain some some relative field position, but you're giving up the ball. So hugely impactful plays. Um, and if you look at the Titans, they have been a good team on third down. So this is a part of their offensive success, right? They are eighth in conversions over expectation this year. If you look at their third and fourth downs, um, the number that they've converted versus what you would expect when you account for down, distance, all that sort of stuff. Last year, they had, if you just look at the expected points gained, and this is, of course, it's a formula where you're recalculating what you think the probabilities of who the next score is going to be and what type of score it's going to be, so you can get a point value for every point on, for every uh, situation on the field. So if you look at all those different plays on third down, last season for the Titans, they gained about 28 um, expected points. So that's 28 points. Again, I, I thought Henry's whole season last year, what he was giving you over replacement type of running back was somewhere around 40-something points. And he was an extreme season, right? This is an extreme, extreme, extreme season with something like 40-something points rushing the ball. So I'm also saying now that just the Titans on third down alone were around 30 points. That's a significant chunk of it. That's not giving anything to what they're doing on first or second down passing the ball, right? And the reason it's key here with Henry in particular, and it doesn't necessarily apply to this, 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 this limited usage, it doesn't necessarily apply to Christian McCaffrey or some others, um, is that if you look at this season, the Titans have played 80 snaps on third down, right? Derrick Henry has only been in the game for 12 of those 80 snaps. He has five rushing attempts and one route run. That's it. Why is he so limited in his usage? Well, the Titans only pat, only ran the ball on 10 of their 80 um, third down plays this year. That's the key here. Derrick Henry is not great in the passing game, not great as a receiver. His value is largely on the ground, and teams, even the Titans, just don't run the ball on third down. They probably should run it a little bit more in third and short situations, honestly, but they don't. Um, in fact, if you look at the, the – I calculated the pass percentages for the Titans versus the NFL as a whole um, for different distances to go on third down. So you'd think that the Titans might be running it a bit more. They had this fantastic running offense, converting this and that. But you don't really get much evidence of that. Uh, with one yard to go, the Titans do uh, run it a little bit more than you'd expect. They're near 80% rushing the ball, whereas your average NFL team is only a little bit over 70%. So they do rush it a bit more in those third and one situations. But if you take uh, third and two, third and three, third and four, third and five, third and six, third and seven, if we get all the way to a third and eight, by all of these down in distances, the Titans are actually at or maybe even slightly more higher pass percentage, right? So like I said, the Titans are running it 80% of the time on third and one. On third and two, they're passing it 70% of the time. It's a huge flip. On third and three, they're passing it almost 85% of the time. On third and four, so it's only four yards to go. This is not like a huge amount to go, right? They're passing it about 96% of the time. And it gets up to close to, you know, over 95% for the rest of the way here. Um, the only time where it starts dipping back down again is once you get to, you know, 12, 13 yards to go, they're willing to just kind of give up and run the ball more often in those circumstances. They'll run it maybe a third of the time in those circumstances. So again, even the Titans, and this is what you have to think about when you're talking about the rushing game in the most important downs, even the Titans not using Derrick Henry. And even once we get to second and two, 
we're passing the ball 70% of the time. I mean, sorry, uh, third and two, we're passing the ball 70% of the time. Third and three, we're passing the ball 85% of the time. Really huge, huge numbers. Um, and the, this, so th- this goes into the part where I was mentioning that you just can't have a functioning offense if your pass game is awful and your run game is good, but you can do the reverse. If you look at this game last night, right? If we look at this game of uh, the Bills-Titans, you know, it was a back and forth. It was a very close game. Both teams were scoring a lot of points, had efficient offenses. Well, the efficiency of the running game for the Bills was awful, okay? They had negative uh, 0.3 EPA per play. They're, they were only successful. They were only gaining EPA on 30% of their plays, right? Um, but in the passing game they were positive 0.3 when dropping back to pass, right? So big numbers there, big differential. You can still be in a game, in a shootout, in a game where the other offense is rolling if you have an awful running game and a good passing game, right? So you can win in that in that scenario. If, you're, if your running game isn't going well, you can still win. If your defense isn't playing well, you can still put up the points to win if you have a great passing offense now the reverse if you're gonna have a game let's say where the the rushing attack was gaining 0.3 and the passing attack was was losing 0.3 you're just not going to win in that circumstance because you can't get up to the pass percentages that you, you can't get up run percentage wise where you get into pass percentage you can have plenty of games where nfl teams will pass it 80 percent of the time 85 percent of the time very high percentage to mitigate the downside if they're having a poor running game you're not going to find games where teams are running at 85% of the time unless other things are happening, like you're getting a couple of lucky third-down conversions. You're getting a defense that's playing extremely well, and that's probably the number one thing, is that you can just grind out a game. But you, but you're, it's contingent on that, right? It's contingent on these other things happening. It's not something in and of itself that can win a game. So I know I don't want to belabor the point here about about the running and the value and everything else. But Derrick Henry, very very valuable, but limited. And that's the key. It's that limitation that does not apply to the passing game that makes it a big difference here. Uh, now going forward, I think what we're going to find here, we're going to have one of these interesting things when we're talking about power rankings and other stuff. Now that Buffalo has lost a couple of games because they lost the first game to the Steelers and they, and they lost this game, now you're going to find them dropping from potentially being first in power rankings, right? to much lower you have the cardinals up in everyone's power rankings i mean the bills are still a great team it's always one of these weird things where like they don't convert a sneak near the end of the game and then because of that one play which they should have converted which would have given them a very good chance of winning the game because of that one play we're going to say now they're the third best team in the nfl fourth best team in the nfl instead of the best team in the nfl which seems kind of ridiculous uh i don't know if i necessarily see them as the best team i probably still put the bucks there but they definitely should still be in the top two and teams like the cardinals probably still have a little bit more prove it to go to get there okay let's get into the rest of the weekend's action sunday action and we're going to start with it's hard to find games that are like really close but i'm going to start with bigger name games games with a lot at stake and I think that the Chargers at the Ravens probably had as much at stake as any game that we saw this weekend the Ravens won the game 34 to 6 it was a blowout 
Uh, Baltimore closed at minus three. Now, on this podcast, we booked this at uh, two and a half. That was one of my best bets for the weekend. So props to me. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner there. And what happened in this game? Well, what's interesting is when I look back at the numbers afterwards, because I was watching it one eye on it when it was on red zone. I was, you know, it was in the background when I was watching. I wasn't paying a great deal of attention to it. My impression would have been that Lamar Jackson played a lot better than he actually did in this one. Not that he played poorly, right? But the defense played so well and the running game got going. And that's something I highlighted in the preview for this was that the Ravens had not been rushing the ball well. They were middling rushing offense. If you look at design runs so far this year. The Chargers have been one of the worst teams in the NFL, bottom three, when it comes to against the run. So they really got the run game going, and not even the Lamar Jackson run game. The run game with the 2015 All-Stars of Le'Veon Bell and uh, Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray, right? They really, really got that going. They had 90th percentile success rate and efficiency running the ball in this game. It's the best game they've had since... Kansas City in week two, they had similar sort of numbers, but the rest of the games, they've been far below average in those games. So that so good for the Ravens to get that going. But you know, Lamar Jackson, he actually had a negative EPA per play in this in this game. And he had a middling grade. His passing grade was uh, 62, something like that. So this is a bad game, a relatively bad game for Lamar Jackson. But again, they win, they win by a lot. Uh, optically, I don't think people are aware of that, that that happens. Not that it's hugely important, right? But it did happen. I mean, they won convincingly. According to my expected points numbers, this was a 20-point victory. Uh, So maybe not as much as it actually was since it was, what, a 28-point victory? But, you know, still a huge, huge victory and a big winner there. Uh, But some of this, okay, some of the EPA downside for Jackson, you have to to hedge against that a little bit because Rashad Bateman dropped an INT, which led to about a... 4.5 4.5 EPA loss, but there, but you know, Jackson also had the worst play of the game according to the value numbers, whereas he just didn't see a linebacker and he threw it right to him. So he did have that negative play that went on there. And you know, the big story from the Chargers and the Chargers offense is we finally had our third and fourth down regression that I've been talking about. I've been harping on on Twitter a decent amount that what they had done to this point was was really insane. You know, they had gained about 30 EPA over the first five weeks of the season, just on fourth down alone. Remember, I was talking about the Titans earlier about how they were a top third down team, which happens much more often, and they gained 30 EPA over the entire year last year. Well, the Chargers had it just on fourth downs within the first handful of games of the season. This game, they only converted one of four fourth downs, and the last one that they converted, you know, the the, the game was over by then anyway. Uh, so they lost six expected points on fourth downs, right? So a big one. They're only three of 12 on third down also. So again, just not converting as they had done before. And, you know, some people went a little bit nuts on the fourth and one call from their own 19, but, you know, they're down 18 points, uh, it was a pretty obvious go-for-it situation. It was one of those things where the number of gain, like the win probability gain that you might get on that is not particularly high, but that's just because your win probabilities are so low. Like if you go from a uh, 4% chance to win to a 6% chance to win, yeah, it's only 2%, but it's 50% higher, <laughs> right, than 4%. So it was one of those types, types of situations. A uh, huge pressure differential here. 
If you look at what I classify as fast pressures, and I think those are the most important pressures to track, and those are pressures that come in less than two and a half seconds. Um, Baltimore was getting there 20% of the time, which is a high, high number for fast pressures. The Chargers were only getting to Jackson 9% of the time. Okay, so I would say that what's been good about what we've seen from the Ravens and their turnaround the last couple of weeks is the defense really coming to play, and I think that's going to be important for them going forward. Good to see the running attack playing well here, but it's a little caveat about playing as the worst rushing defense possible. And for Jackson, you know, if this is the bottom of his types of performances that we're going to see, then we're looking good going going forward because it wasn't a bad performance, but it was mediocre. So I think people should have that context in play here that this was a mediocre performance and Jackson went for Jackson, but he didn't have to do a lot in this particular game. Okay, let's move to, I think, the second most important game of the weekend, but also a blowout, and that is the Arizona Cardinals at Cleveland Browns, 37-14 Arizona. This closed at minus three. It actually went up to, this Browns minus three. It actually went up to Browns three and a half at one point. I wish I would have seen that. Uh, I should probably be tracking these things a little bit better because then I think the Cardinals would have been a good bet if you could get if you got that at three and a half. And I'm not just saying that as hindsight bias. It was one of these games where I really felt like it could go either direction. And once you get over a key number like that, it's pretty huge. Now, the expected number on here is a little bit closer, 28 to 14, but still a blowout. Still a 14-point victory. Um, why is it closer? Well, you know, conversions, explosive plays helped Arizona a bit. Again, my expected numbers are going to rely more upon success rates than, uh, and you're going to downweight some of the outlier type of plays that over the course of a season will average out and in, in one particular game have a huge impact. Um, continuing problem for the Browns defense is giving up these big plays, right? Giving up big third down conversions like the DeAndre Hopkins touchdown that you saw where he juked out a couple guys and scored. Uh, just giving up big conversions and plays where they need to stop people. So the Browns defense has just been better from a success rate standpoint than they have been at actually stopping people. Um, if you looked at this particular game, the Browns defense had a 45th percentile as far as their success rate, but then, I'm sorry, the uh, the the Cardinals offense was a 45th percentile success rate. So not that great, but they had a 76th percentile in their efficiency. So again, getting big plays conversions. Um, the Cardinals had about 11 expected points gained on conversions. Cleveland was minus 13.4. So that's a huge negative number. And a big part of this is another fourth down setback for the Browns. They were going for it close to the end zone. And, and Baker took another sack, and I've seen some people sharing some clips about this. Um, yeah, he had pressure. Yeah, he's going through his progressions, but you got to learn to get rid of the ball. That's the fourth time in the last three games that Baker Mayfield has taken a sack on fourth down. And, like, you have to give your receivers at least a chance to make a play, Right. And he's not being blindsided on these sacks either. Maybe he doesn't have an ideal amount of time. Maybe they know to bring pressure. But Baker has to know to let it fly on that play. Uh, I mean, if you get intercepted, it's actually most likely better than taking a sack on that play. Because it's fourth down, they'll be intercepted. They'll most likely be tackled. I mean, you don't need to give up a pick six, right? You don't want to throw a horrible interception. But if you float one down there, if they intercept it, then they're going to be down. Then you actually get some field position gain out of that sort of play. Don't be afraid to throw the ball in those situations. Uh, Baker, that ball's stuck to his hand a little bit too much. We'll see if he even plays this Thursday night. Uh, you know, he's he's in question. 
Um, Cream Hunt is out. Nick Chubb is probably out. You know, I don't think it's a huge difference to go to Dernish Johnson and the other guys that they have there. But uh, Baker's going to be a huge part for this one. And I feel like the sentiment on Cleveland is pretty low. I saw Dan Orlovsky throwing out one of his you know, hot takes that's not really serious, in my opinion, calling them the most disappointing team this year. Uh, you know, hold my beer is what uh, the Miami Dolphins and the Washington football team are saying there. They're definitely the most disappointing team so far this season, but I get it. Uh, the sentiment is low on them, but again, you know, they lose to the Arizona Cardinals. They lose to the Chiefs. They lose to the Chargers. Two of those three games were very close. Um, I wouldn't be super concerned about them overall. The problem is the injuries, right? I think some of this, they've had really, really poor fourth down luck. They have some of the worst fourth down numbers, but Stefanski is also going for it the most, appropriately going for it the most, um, versus any versus anyone, really. I mean, Staley's going for it more than anyone, but he's going for a lot of these edge cases where Stefanski is not going for it. So things will turn around. Regression is going to turn around for the Browns, but will it turn around in time to save the season? If it goes long enough, it could be a problem. And of course, the injuries are a big concern for them going forward. Okay, got to talk about the Dallas Cowboys because the Dallas Cowboys are America's team, Dallas Cowboys. So Dallas Patriots, uh, 35-29 Dallas, it closed at three and a half. The expected number here for me is about 28, 26-ish, maybe a little bit more than that. So about two and a half points for Dallas being better. So it's kind of a bad beat there versus three and a half. And then also bad beat, of course, is the ending where Dallas has the ball and they don't have to score, right, in overtime. They don't have to score the, the touchdown, and they do. They do score the touchdown rather than get the field goal, which if they would have got the field goal, then you still would have been okay for Dallas if you had them at three and a half or four. So let's. Let, I want to address the Belichick situation. I've been talking about this. I had a whole pod in the offseason about whether or not this is his last hurrah, and part of that is whether he's kind of lost his mojo when it comes to gaining edges on fourth down. Uh, friend of the pod, Mina Kimes, on the NFL show on ESPN had a clip shared on that talking about how he needs to be going for it more often. Of course, everyone's jumping all over her for various reasons, whether it be thinking she's a, a nerd about fourth downs or she doesn't know what she's talking about, she never played the game, or she's a woman, all that sort of stuff. But beyond that, you know, toxic stuff over there, uh, the, the point is largely that, you know, we can't question Bill Belichick. But the thing is that it's not like Belichick has always been doing things this way. Through, definitely through 2011, and then in some years after that, he was at the forefront for going for it, right? And part of that was that the league was behind. So just by being somewhat forward-looking, you know, even if you're a middle-of-the-league team right now with your go-forward over-expectation on fourth down, you would have been near the top of the league back then. So that's part of it. But he's actually gotten even worse than that. Like, he keeps on getting worse and worse as time goes on. And I get it, he doesn't have Tom Brady, all these sorts of things, but... Even if you have a quarterback like Mac Jones this year who has been able to successfully, you know, matriculate the ball down the field, has decent success rate numbers, maybe not the most upside, but you just want convergence. You want success rates on these downs. you got to at least give them a chance, especially if you're playing against an offense where you know if you give the ball to them, you're probably going to lose. You have to factor that into your decision. You have to weigh the doubts you may have about your own offense to 
the concerns you have about your defense being able to stop that other offense, right? Dallas is playing at extremely high level. They are number one in the NFL right now as far as success rate. Now, they've had some unlucky plays go against them, so their efficiency hasn't been as good. But they are gaining on a play-by-play basis positive EPA on a higher rate than any offense in the NFL right now. This is not an offense you give the ball back to. And you say, okay, we're, we're, we're going to have to stop you. We only need a field goal, too, if we're talking about overtime, right? You only need a field goal in there. Uh, so far this year, if you look at Ben Baldwin's numbers again, more credit to Ben Baldwin. I think he gets at least two mentions every single show here. Uh, he has the, the uh, Patriots attempting zero of their eight possible fourth down attempts where they would have gained at least 1% in win probability. And these are games that are you know higher than... 20% win probability here. So we're not looking at a, a game where you're, you know, it's a blowout in your, in your chances here. These are games where it matters and it's a strategic choice as opposed to being forced to do something. Uh, Belichick just pun- just punting on them, punting her field goals, not, not taking any of those chances. So again, I talk about this a lot more in my offseason pod, uh, the last hurrah for Bill Belichick. Uh, if you look at this particular game that Dallas actually did a really interesting thing here where they had these really, really high success rates and then lower efficiency versus those high success success rates. They did the opposite here. Uh, Both teams had a similar success rate in this game. They were both about 50% 50 successful on their plays, but then Dallas ended up with a 90th percentile in their efficiency versus only a 20th percentile for the Patriots. Um, Now, there's a pick six that they got that helped them. Obviously, that was that was part of it. We did not classify that as a turnover worthy play, although I don't think it was a great pass there. Um, And if you look at conversions and penalties, you know, Dallas was hit by a bunch of penalties in this game, which which helped keep the game close in some ways, despite the fact that the efficiency was so much better for Dallas in this one. Uh, passing grades, a little surprised here. Mac Jones actually had a 93 passing grade, best passing grade of the week. One of the best passing grades, maybe the best passing grade of the entire season. Uh, 89 for Dak. Again, didn't grade the pick six as a turnover worthy play, which eh, I don't know about. And it's just like a huge contrast with Mac Jones. And we're seeing this a little bit too often. And I think it can be something that can be sticky. that won't necessarily fully regress. And that is the fact that he has these very, very high passing grades and then low EPA. Again, he may have had the best passing grade of the entire year, but then if you look at his percentile as far as his drop back um, efficiency, it was maybe like 15th percentile. So 100th percentile grade, 15th percentile actual numbers and results. It's happening a little bit too often. We're seeing a divergence there. And part of it, you know, is he took eight, um, he lost eight EPA in sacks. Dak did not take a sack. So that's, that's a big difference in the game there. Um, and then you know what else hurt Dak's numbers a little bit? So again, Dak's numbers weren't fantastic from an EPA perspective, but they were good. Uh, what hurt them a little bit in this game was he lost 6.5 points on the failed conversions near the goal line. And if you watch those plays, he really looked like he got in on the first one, right? on the third down that they didn't give to him. And then he fumbled the ball over the top on the fourth down. So that that's fine there. But again, that would have been a huge difference. That would have really swung the game also towards being a good enough game where Dallas would have covered. So in a lot of ways, you could say it was a bad beat for uh, New England betters because of how it finished. But I think Dallas was solidly in control of the game. And it's not like they were uh, not close at all to being able to to do this. All right, let's get to some ad copy here. DraftKings, let's talk about it. 
Um, let's talk about it. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. If, you, if they do, you win $200 in free bets. It's that simple. If the sportsbook is not available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a million dollars in total prizes. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 and win $200 in free bets. Promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. 1-800-GAMBLER. And also, Western and Southern sponsor of the pod. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth, the boss man, to share insights that can help you ahead on both your get ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. That's C-R-I-S, by the way, for Chris. One more time, that is westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. If you are watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Okay, uh, might as well get this one out of the way because it was a loss for us, uh, for our one loss on Sunday for the best bets. That was the Rams at the Giants, 38-11. to The Rams win. It closed at 7.5, which is actually down from when I told you to bet it at 10. So some of that might have been Daniel Jones getting healthy. I think some of it, some other stuff. So actually some closing line value there didn't matter. Uh, big, big loss here. And the expected number on this was 32 and a half to eight. So huge, huge expected loss. You know, early in the game, I was actually hoping that I might be able to like build a case for why this game was closer than it looked because of the fact that, you know, the Giants didn't convert a fourth and one. They didn't convert a third and one. Um, the Rams did convert a fourth and two near the end zone, but then the pylon just started happening. It's like, ah, what's the point? I can't talk anything on this. It was a dis- disgusting game, disgusting loss, disgusting bet. Um, so it's kind of seemed like Daniel Jones had been storing up all of his bad plays for this one game. You know, going into this game, as I had mentioned last week on the preview, he had a better passing grade than um, Matthew Stafford. He had really cut down on the turnover-worthy plays. In this game, you know, turnover-worthy plays uh, all over the place. He had a sack fumble. He did have an INT where Shepard fell down, so that one didn't count. Um, But still, he had another INT. Other than that, he had about negative 16 expected points in interceptions here. Um, You know, Stafford wasn't that great, though, in this game, which is interesting. He only had a 65 grade. He had two turnover-worthy plays. So, again, it's one of those ones where, in a similar way to the Jackson performance, although I think it was a little bit better than Jackson, it kind of gets hidden here with the fact that the Rams win. They win big. Matthew Stafford, you see the highlights. You see the passes to Cooper Cup. You might be thinking, oh, Stafford had an excellent game. It was an excellent game. It was an okay game. 
Um, if you look at Daniel Jones, just to get a picture around how poor of a game this was, it was the fourth lowest grade we've had for any game for a quarterback this year. And it was the seventh lowest game in terms of EPA efficiency on the season for any quarterback. So awful, awful game there. Uh, the Giants had a 0% fast pressure rate against the Rams offensive line. This Rams offensive line is really coming to play right now so far this season. So they didn't get a single pressure on um, Matthew Stafford in less than two and a half seconds. So the Rams offense, you know, they weren't really tested by the defense here because of that. Um, those turnover-worthy plays didn't really, didn't really hurt them as much as you would have thought for Stafford. And, of course, you know, the Giants – Offense couldn't get anything going. They also lost Kadarius Tony early in that game. I don't know if he'll be back for this week, but he was the one guy who looked like he was doing something. Maybe Kenny Galladay will be back, and they'll have a, a better complement of receivers for this game. But I guess we should have known this was coming for the Giants eventually. When you're a 10-point dog, at least when I booked them last week at home, this is within the range of outcomes. So it happens. We're not happy about the process here, but getting some closing line value and then losing, hey, that's, that's the way it goes. Okay, Packers-Bears, 24-14 Packers, 5.5 was the close on this one. The expected number was 31-24, to so 7 points, so a little bit tighter, but still leaning towards the Bears. I mean, not sorry, it's the Bears. Leaning towards the Packers being the correct play here. So the Bears needed two things to win that we discussed here, and they actually got both of them. They got both of what they needed. So I don't think the Bears were actually a, that bad of a bet in this particular game. They got both of the things they needed. They needed the running game to work against a poor Packers rush defense. That happened. You know, they were in the 80th, 90th percentile in their success rate and their efficiency running the ball. And in, or, in doing that, they could keep the pass percentage down for fields and they could let him play that controlled game that he's been doing recently. That happened to a decent amount. I mean, they passed 5% under expectation, but in previous games, it had been more like 10, 15 points. Unfortunately, Rodgers has put too much pressure on them offensively from the Packers that they they couldn't really just dial back the passing and because of that we saw some mistakes from Fields although one of them he thought he got an offsides when he threw that long interception uh, he thought it was a free play and I think it should have been a free play but he didn't get that now the other thing that they needed was to get pressure on Rodgers and they actually got that uh, Rodgers was sacked three times he had a 30 percent pressure rate but Rodgers still had a good game because he didn't, it wasn't that much of an actual loss of EPA on those sacks. He didn't fumble it, uh, didn't turn the ball over. So that's so that's pretty big there. So because of that, Rodgers just overcame. So we saw Rodgers overcome in this game. You got to tip your cap on this one if you were uh, the Bears or if you're a Bears better on this one. Uh, 12 and a half average depth of target for fields I thought was an interesting number. Again, they continue to push the ball down the field, but he just wasn't successful on enough of those chunk plays. He looked really good on that first drive. When you, if you watched just the first beginning of this game, you saw them drive down the field. You saw Green Bay struggle for a while, but you know they just could not get more scores for that Bears offense until we got near the end of the game where they really had to stop Rodgers on that last drive where he had it and, and they could not do it. Um, Fields only took two sacks in this game, but they're pretty costly. Uh, so that was bad for, for him in, in this one. And that's another factor where he's got to clean that up, especially when he's not passing as much as he is. But I think there are some positives for Fields going forward. Like I said, they, they opened up a little bit more of the passing game. He played okay. Uh, he's very accurate throwing the ball. He just needs to make sure he can avoid some of the sacks. And, you know, just needs to get into a game where his defense can stop the other offense a little bit better like they had the last couple of weeks. And maybe the Packers are not the team they're going to be able to implement this game plan against. But I think this game plan can be successful against, you know, half the league. And you could be a 500 sort of team 
with the way they're playing now. If Fields can step up a little bit further, that's when things start getting interesting, right? And he's starting to run the ball a little bit more too, which I think is great. Okay, um, this is the Vikings-Cardinals. Okay, so the Vikings win 34-28. It was two and a half the the closing line. It moved two and a half to the Vikings, and it moved from the Cardinals, I mean the uh the Carolina Panthers being a one-point favorite. Uh, the expected score here was Minnesota 24 to Panthers 16, so about eight points. So they covered, you know, right they won by six. They should have won by about eight. So we have the flipped destinies of these teams here. We got the Panthers going from three and zero to three and three now. We have the Vikings going from one and three to three and three. Awful game for Sam Darnold. Now, you know, Matt Rule has come out saying he wants to establish the run. He's Mr. Establish the run now. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be too reactive to what happens. I said, like, Darnold's a little bit of a roller coaster. And if the other team is putting up points, if your defense is not going to win, you're going to get some mistakes from, from Sam Darnold. That's what happens. What you really don't want is the game that we saw last week against Philadelphia where they blow a very low-scoring game because of Darnold mistakes. That's really, really a problem. This game... You know, establishing the run and leaning on the run game, I don't know if it's going to help you a whole lot when the other team puts up 34 points. Um, so Darnold was in the fifth percentile as a success rate and his efficiency. Really, really awful game for him. Um, he actually got – it would have been even worse if he didn't actually have some late-down efficiency, which was decent. He got that fourth and ten late in the game, which would really bumped up his numbers here. He had three turnover-worthy plays. One of them was an interception. Another one was a dropped interception. And then another one was a sack fumble. So – Again, mistakes were killers. He did have eight drops. Uh, you know, a few of them were kind of these BS dump-off types where it wouldn't have helped that much. But there are other, there were some other thir- big plays and potential third-down conversions, especially to Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, who each dropped three passes apiece. So that's pretty huge there. Anderson had one of the worst games imaginable, 11 yards on 10 targets. DJ Moore only 73 yards on 13 targets. It just shows you the efficiency was awful there. Uh Carolina, no pressure on Cousins. That's what you need to get. Only a 19% pressure rate, zero sacks. Cousins again, 76th grade, third highest passing grade on the season behind Brady and the injured Russell Wilson. Hey, keeps on coming to play. I know they're ugly games like we saw against the Browns, but he also has these sorts of games. So you take the good and the bad with what you're getting from Cousins. And this is a team that could get to the playoffs, definitely could get to the playoffs now that they're up to 500. They have the pieces, I think, across the board here. And for the Panthers, we're probably still looking at a year away. And the problem with the Panthers, you're building all these pieces around what could be a faulty main cog here in Sam Darnold, right? Um, You could have Justin Fields there instead, obviously, instead of the cornerback that they picked. So it'll just be interesting to see whether or not they double down on Darnold going into next year and continue to, to build around him if they have the chance somehow uh, to make a play there. Now, the, the, the story is they did try to trade for Matthew Stafford, so they tried to give trade that pick, but either Stafford didn't want to go there or the Lions liked the compensation package from the Rams a bit more. I think it was more that Stafford didn't want to go there, and they were respecting that request. Okay, Bengals-Detroit. Uh, three and a half was the close. Bengals win 34-11. The expected was 30-6, to so it was a wipeout. Uh, everything's gone wrong for Detroit. We saw my man Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell, I think I'm going to uncancel him. I'm going to officially uncancel Dan Campbell, um, even though he kicked a field goal in this game late <laughs> to give him the first three points, which was annoying me because I had the 
uh, Bengals defense in fantasy on my in my home league. Even though he did that, he's been going for some fourth downs. I feel bad for him for everything that's happening there. I feel like he's getting this team to, ready to play, but they're just not getting the late downs. They're not able to convert those. Insane conversion EPA here for the Bengals, too. They had about 17.5 EPA that they gained on third and fourth down conversions. They had the fourth and one 40-yard touchdown to Joe Mixon. They had a third and five. That was a 24-yard touchdown to Chris Evans where he dived out, laid out for the ball on that wheel route. They also got a 53-yard play to, you know, another big play as usual to Jamar Chase for 53 yards on a third down. So tons and tons of plays there. Um, I feel a little bad for Dan Campbell, so we're going to uncancel Dan Campbell. Uh, he's actually been going for some fourth downs too, which I which I appreciate there. Um, and I like him. I actually think he's a good guy potentially going forward for this team. Uh, what are they going to do at quarterback? That, of course, is going to be the issue. Uh, if they would have taken that trade from – we just talked about them on the uh, the Panthers on the other side. If they would have taken that Panthers trade, hey, they could have had Justin Fields or uh, Mac Jones there right now. Uh, one other thing about Chase, amazing play so far. Um, he has seven catches this season where he's gained at least three expected points. No one else has more than five. So he's just been the big play specialty, especially in clutch situations there i think people are getting maybe a little bit too excited about the Bengals right now i know they're four and two they're leading the division all that sort of stuff um i'd slow my roll a little bit on them right now although they can't get they can't prove themselves going forward it's just this is probably not the game where you really prove that much against uh the lions although beating down a a bad team is something all right we got another winner here winner winner chicken dinner we have the Vegas Raiders at the Denver Broncos. I had this as a best bet at, where do we have it at? Plus three and a half. Wow, I actually went up to five and a half. So, of course, five and a half, between five and a half and three and a half, you're not crossing any key numbers, so it's not that big of a deal. But we did not have closing line value on that one, but we still won. Uh, the expected number here was 29 to 20, so it was a little bit close. It was about, actually, it was a little bit closer, but about the same. This is never really in doubt, though. If you watch the game here, uh, the Broncos got killed by turnovers, although some of those turnovers were late in the game. And Carr was really lights out in this particular game. He had a 90 grade, 12 yards per attempt, got everyone involved, six different receivers with at least 30 yards receiving, including getting Henry Ruggs involved, getting Edwards involved, getting Darren Waller involved. Uh, You know, everyone was really contributing to this game here, and I think that's important for how they're going to play. And what's weird about the Broncos is they were getting a lot of pressure, but now I'm starting to wonder, was that pressure was caused by, you know, quarterbacks owning that, that they played early in the season, some of the poor quarterbacks that they played early in the season? Because Vaughn Miller and they're just not getting enough pressure. I mean, they had two official sacks in this game, but they were not real sacks. There were plays where Carr scrambled out and then just ran out of bounds and either gained, you know, either was a zero gain or which they actually credit as a sack, which is weird, or lost one yard. So they had two sacks, but there's only one yard lost on those plays. Uh, they only got four hits on Carr. So Carr was not taking a lot of hits. But then again, he is, he is good at getting the ball out early. So I think the back end had some problems uh, guarding these guys when the front is not able to bring pressure. And when you just have Vaughn Miller, you don't really have another piece there. It could be a continuing issue for Denver going forward. Although I'm a little bit more positive on the offense, and I think that you've gotten kind of this upside-downside where – the true value of Teddy Bridgewater in this offense is more like a middle-of-the-road offense, um, and I think it can settle in in that sort of area. It's just getting less pressure from the defensive front than you would have hoped, and that's what you're hoping for in those first few games where you're beating up on guys like Zach Wilson. Okay, Chiefs 
versus the Washington football team, 31-13. You would, uh, they were six-and-a-half-point favorite, and the expected score here was 27-18. to 18. So what is that here? Let me do my fast math. That's nine-point differential. So easily over the number, but not as big of a, of a game as you saw here. Uh, more mistakes offensively for the Chiefs, right? And there's a little bit of some of the craziest things I'd ever seen in halftime where you had spot track, spot track, spot rack, whatever you call them, uh, the, the contract website, which, guys, go to, go to overthecap.com. Don't go to them. Um, but anyway, they're tweeting out the Patrick Mahomes contract and how much was left midway through this game after he thrown a couple of interceptions, his eighth interception on the season after only throwing six the year before. That was a weird one. I don't know if it was trying to imply something about the fact that he had so much guaranteed money and he's, he's going to average 40-something million a year as if that was a bad contract going forward, but that one got jumped on. Um, we had another one, Dove. Is his name Dove? Dove Kleiman? I don't, I don't follow him, but uh, I was alerted to this by listening to the Around the NFL pod where Greg Rosenthal mentioned that someone said, has the NFL figured out Patrick Mahomes, and I had to figure out who this was, right? <laughs> like, who said this? So I looked it up, and it was him, and he's like, he's kind of one of these aggregator of other people's takes, and he's some reason he, like, really hates Patrick Mahomes. I think it's because he loves Brady or something. So that was probably the worst take, maybe ever, but uh, definitely of the weekend, and even worse than that is people are actually sharing this as if they agreed with it. Um, yeah, has the NFL figured out Patrick Mahomes? They only So like, let's step back here for a second here. Again, in this game, these mistakes that the Chiefs are making, yes, there are interceptions, but you know there's an element of this that's not going to carry over that much. They're also fumbling. There's also a drop, another drop that led to an interception here. There's another fumble by McCole Harmon. They've had tons of fumbles either after catches. They've had at least three of the, of Mahomes's interceptions have been drops that have led to interceptions there too. So with all these mistakes, now even with all these mistakes, everything else, all the hand wringing, Casey off is this and that. They're fourth right now in offensive efficiency, right? They're second in, in passing efficiency right now, below only the uh, the Rams. This is like, we're talking about guys being figured out when they're second in passing efficiency, right? It, it's insane. And if you take out the interceptions and fumbles for everyone, now I know you can't take out the interceptions, but I'm just going to do it just to kind of give you a baseline for an offense, which, you know, shouldn't be turning the ball over more than average going forward, right? They're not like a high turnover offense generally going forward. If you take all that out, they're number one by far in EPA per play uh, in efficiency. And they're number two um, in their success rate below the Cowboys, which have this, which have a very, very good number. Um, and like I said, they're, no one's close to them in their efficiency. The Cardinals are second and there's a big gap down. So this is still the best offense in the NFL going forward. If you're going to project who's going to be the best offense going forward yet, there's like hand wringing going on. It's the weirdest, weirdest thing. Um, even though they won this game, power rankings are probably not going to give them too much of a benefit this week. So I'm, I'm fading all of that noise, of course. Um, one thing about Heineke, no sacks. They did not sack Heineke, so still a little bit of problem on defense there. And what was weird about Heineke is he couldn't get anything going down the field other than this blown coverage touchdown to Ricky Seals-Jones. He only averaged 4.5 yards per attempt. But I don't think it was a good defensive performance for the Chiefs. So they're going to continue to figure things out. But at least on this one, you know, they, they held them down for a lot of the game. 
um, and they were able to really hold them down on, on third and fourth down, which is the money downs that they were doing before that they were able to do, which is not necessarily the most sticky thing, but it's going to be important for that defense the way they play going forward. Okay, uh, Texans, Colts. Now, the reason this game is interesting, doesn't sound interesting, 31-3. to three. Uh, The Colts closed at an 11-point favorite, but my expected score actually has this only being about an 8-point victory, which is weird because it actually puts us as one of the the, wor- the bad beats. The worst one here would be uh, of Sunday. This is not as bad as the Tampa Bay beat that we took when we had Tampa Bay as our best bet on Thursday night last week. But as far as Sunday, this is actually the, the, the worst one, which is strange. And the reason is the game was relatively close into the third quarter. Okay. So the final score uh, doesn't really kind of betrays the fact that it's, it was 10 to three in the third quarter. The success rates for both teams are roughly equal, right? They're both kind of like 20th percentile type of success rates, but the efficiencies were diametrically opposed, right? The Colts had a 90-something percentile in their efficiency, and then the um, Texans were only 26%. Now, I don't want to read too much into it because the possibility for a team to give up a bunch of explosive plays and make a bunch of mistakes on offense, you know, the Texans are going to be right up there, right? So this formula that I'm doing for expected scores, maybe it doesn't properly reflect the fact that the Texans as that bad of a team have a higher than normal chance of just giving up a lot of big, bad plays, right? Uh, But look at these plays for the Colts, right? This explosive offense, which you're not going to you're not going to get these going forward on a regular basis. They had an 83-yard run from Jonathan Taylor. They had a 51-yard touchdown pass to Paris Campbell, which happened on 3rd and 3. And Paris Campbell is now injured, which is kind of a big injury because Wentz really needed someone to stretch the field. And I think you are seeing Wentz start to come alive with someone who can stretch the field there. But T.Y. Hilton is back. He had a 52-yard completion. They had a 28-yard touchdown to Moawi Cox. No turnovers. That's another reason that they're getting such good efficiency is Wentz continues to not turn the ball over. He has one turnover-worthy play this entire season. Uh, the worst play in EPA they had the entire game was a negative 1.8. So that's, like, really good. That's, like, you know, sacks or more than that, right? So he didn't have anything on any play even as bad as a sack. Even though they weren't being successful, they, they limited the downside. They weren't being successful on a sustained basis by success rate. They limited the downside, big upside. Not necessarily the, like limiting the downside is a more sustainable thing than getting the upside, but it's an interesting formula if the defense can play well and if T.Y. Hilton can continue to stay healthy. They need T.Y. Hilton, Hilton to stay healthy. We saw this with Wentz in the past where when they lost – downfield threats, whether it was Deshaun Jackson, whether it was Torrey Smith, that his play kind of plummeted. Like he really needs to have that downfield option to open things up in the way that he likes to play because he likes to extend things. And he's not necessarily the most accurate on throwing into tight windows, but he can be fairly accurate throwing down the field. Of course, there's a ton of mistakes from the Texans, 16 points lost in turnovers. And, you know, Wentz, like again, creep creeping up to respectability this year. He's about mid-grade in his efficiency by EPA. He's 11th in passing grade, better than Stafford, better than Matthew Stafford, better than Aaron Rodgers so far this season. So, And that's without having a lot, like, you know, his, his blocking was not doing that well. Even though he's holding the ball a little bit too long, the blocking was not doing too well earlier this year. The receiving weapons, you know, who, who did you have out there? Zach Paschal and Michael Pittman and... Moali Cox, you know, now they're getting T.Y. Hilton back. Would have been really nice to have Paris Campbell back, but they lost him. So, you know, he has some excuses. Obviously, he had the injuries and that sort of stuff, but that's almost an ongoing thing with him, so we can't give him too much on that. But he had some excuses built in there, so we'll be a little bit more generous to him. 
Um, a couple more to close out, but before we do that, let's talk about Manscaped. So uh, Manscaped is a sponsor of the pod. It's football season. You know what it means. We're going to here with Manscaped. We're blitzing through hairs. It's never been easier, and it's time for you to join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Let's talk about the brand-new Lawnmower 4.0. Take your defense to the next level. This is the fourth-generation trimmer. features a cutting-edge ceramic blade, reduced grooming accidents. It's got the light. It's got waterproof. You can do it no matter what, inside, outside, camping, um, in a high-rise hotel, everywhere. you got to be you're scaping all over the place. Um, 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. All right, the last couple of games here. Seattle, Pittsburgh. I'm going to cop to the fact that I did not stay up to watch this. Uh, Pittsburgh wins. 30 to 23. We had this as basically being about an even game according to my expected scores. So, you know, Pittsburgh is a five and a half point favorite was kind of a little bit of a bad beat here for Seattle. They had about the same success rate. It was really late downs, right? The Seattle just could not convert three of 12 on third and fourth down. They lost 13 EPA, five sacks, 4.1 a dot for Gino. So just really, really ugly there. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to mention here. This was a game that had some weird plays, obviously, there at the end. It was a game that Pittsburgh had to win against Seattle, and things are going to look rough for Seattle going forward. I mean, we'll see if they approach Cam Newton, the newly vaccinated Cam Newton in uh, I think he would be a good option. And I think, can you imagine Pete Carroll, like being able to bring Cam Newton in and just like run the ball constantly, how excited he's going to be about doing that. So that's, that's a definite possibility. And we'll see if it ends up happening. I would not completely fade the possibility that that does happen. And the last game of the week, I'm going, going to London for this one. The Miami Dolphins unofficially at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, the Jaguars are kind of like the, the the team there, right? Uh, so the Jags win on that last second field goal. Um, it was basically the Jags, according to my numbers, were a couple of points better. So actually, it was about even. So it was one of those things where the Jags winning is maybe a little bit lucky, but the Dolphins covering, which I thought they could do, was not that was not that um, great. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say here other than Miami's in major, major trouble. Again, I think they are the most disappointing team in the NFL. They do not have their first-round pick, and now they are 1-5. Lost to the Jaguars. They lost a bunch of awful teams uh, so far this year. Their one win, week one against the Patriots, was a game that, according to my game grades, they should have lost. They actually should have lost that game. Um, their schedule, as I mentioned, gets easier, but they didn't even win this game. Their schedule is going to be the easiest schedule going forward, but it was supposed to start with Jacksonville, which was going to help that ease of schedule, and they did not win that game. So it's still going to be easy going forward, but things are going to get a little bit more hectic here. Uh, the Jaguars, not much to say about them. I'm kind of hoping that they don't mess around here and like win some games and save Urban Meyer's job, but that could end up happening. So we shall see. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Kevin Cole PFF. If I post something about Thursday night, as of right now, no play on that game. Obviously we don't know about Mayfield or anything else, but if I could post a play there or in the comments on YouTube for this video, uh, appreciate the likes that I'm seeing in YouTube, appreciate the commentary that we're getting here. Uh, I like to respond to the comments on there. So go ahead and leave some comments there. And I also appreciate one last pitch for unexpected promo code at PFF for 25% off. Thanks everybody for the Tuesday edition. I'll be back at you at Friday until then. Uh, Good luck and have a great week.